Dodie, in our last episode, we talked about organ on a chip. That's right, and how it is well-suited to use in preclinical trials for uh, newly discovered drugs or therapies. And we talked about how that's more beneficial than animal test models. Exactly. We laid the groundwork of what organ-on-a-chip technology is. And since we talked about that with our former colleague Jan, we've done a lot more reading on science.org about organ-on-a-chip technology. The reading is in the show notes. We've made some more calls and there's just so much to talk about. Well, let's get started then with today's episode of Discovery Matters. The story of today's discovery starts with some scientists who wanted to make biomimetic three-dimensional environments to study cardiomyocyte cells. It's a lot of big words, but it's essentially a simulated heart to experiment how a real heart might react to certain treatments or therapies. So first... I am Chris Ismikis. I am a research and development scientist and engineer at CureBio. That's an organ and chip technology. My background is in electrical engineering and biomedical engineering, and I work on integrating different technologies to facilitate the interface between new technologies and tissues for various applications, namely organ and chip technologies at the moment. And we were joined by... I'm Alice White. I'm a professor of mechanical engineering uh, at Boston University. But I spent the bulk of my career at Bell Laboratories, the R&D arm originally of AT&T. And my background is in nanotechnology and nanofabrication. So my laboratory uses two-photon direct laser writing to create structures of interest to advance the field of tissue engineering. So, Dodie, maybe our listeners don't know, and why would they? But the name Cytiva was a product many, many years ago owned by our former company. And it was the product name for an embryonic stem cell-derived cardiomyocyte drug toxicity testing platform. So it's just a real joy to see the science behind that idea, behind that name, live on. So this chip is known as the mini pump. It's a scaffold created through a very special kind of 3D printing, direct laser writing, which is an additive process. It has a beam of photons crossing at exactly the right place inside the resin to make it go hard. It's actually one beam, but the intensity and the focused point of that beam in the resin, the coincidence of two photons, is what exposes the resin. So the resin is transparent to the single photon, but solidifies at the focal point. And that focal point is determined by the two photon cross-section, if you will. So it's submicron and can be a few hundred nanometers. So in terms of creating their cardiomyocytes, how different was the process? Did they have to modify the kind of cell culture media they used? The development of the mini pump was in a sense oblivious to these uh, details. If you have cardiomyocytes, the challenge and the innovation of the mini pump is to assemble them in the proper 3D structure so they can produce the functional output that we want. So we used one of the protocols that was already established in scientific literature. Any other protocol could be used and additional cells could be added. So I think we are providing more of the context in which the cells can function as opposed to the cells in this study. 
So you can read more about the methods and processes on their science.org article in the show notes, like we said. But conversationally, Christos described for us how they had to convince the cells. I love this idea of convincing mm. and coaxing cells, um, how they had to make them adhere and stick to the resin. I think we were also very fortunate in the sense that the material that we're using, it should have some specific mechanical properties because we care about the mechanics and it should also be biocompatible, period. These are the requirements for this system. Otherwise, beyond that, the cells, we do provide a hydrogel that they can reside in but they are also in contact with the resin, with the 3D printed material. And so as long as the material doesn't impact the viability and function of the cells, then this is good enough for a system. Mm -hmm. One could imagine as we further develop the material science behind this project, we have more complex materials that actually encourage the cells to organize in a specific manner or like they encourage specific cell types to organize in specific manners to give cell type specific structure within the tissue. So you can see how we could work further into that. But the first aspect, which is a mechanical component, that's the ones that we mostly address in the study that had not been done before at such a small scale. There was a lot of engineering involved. Christos' original idea was to use a cylindrical scaffold which had oxidic properties, so a negative Poisson's ratio, meaning that the structure, when it was compressed in one direction, also compressed in the other direction. And that was to amplify the function of the cardiomyocytes beating. But that structure just did not have enough strength to withstand the compaction of these cells. Think about it. I mean, you have to understand at the scale, materials are behave very differently than they do in, in sort of bulk scales. So he, he had to engineer a structure and he used modeling to uh, to inform that that would only compress in the in the axial direction and not uh, collapse in the in the radial direction. Oh my goodness, you've got to put this into everyday language for me, Connor. Yeah, it's a lot of, I mean, first off, look at the interdisciplinary work again. We keep coming back to this in, in these current episodes, right? So many disciplines working together. But really, a large part of this has to do with what the heart actually does. It just pumps blood. It right. draws blood from one side of the vasculature of the body and it pushes it to the other side. It's plumbing, right? So to do that, it has some structural elements. And it's the muscle and it has this cavity-shaped ventricle. And it, as that cavity contracts, it propels the blood. And it also has valves that regulate the direction of the blood flow. And so if we are to model on a chip the pressure patterns that the heart experiences, the flow of the blood, we need those structural elements. And because we're talking about such miniaturized models, we're talking about something that's smaller, the entire device would be smaller than a coin. You have to be able to build mechanical components that replicate the function of the structural elements of the heart that I described with such fine resolution. And so that's where the technology comes in. We are able to make a 3D heart cylinder, let's say, on a chip that can actually contract and can also store blood in its volume to propel it. And we can also make valves that control the flow that the tissue generates in a very small scale, thanks to the fine resolution of the 3D printing technique that we're using. And so I think what the difference in our system is, we are proposing a way where this technology that has been validated in other applications can also be used in organ and chip and can improve the scope of features that organ and chip models can include. 
Okay, I'm starting to see it now. Um, where do Alice and Christos go from here? Are there, what are the challenges that they need to overcome? One of the challenges, as with any system in this field, is standardization. Building a system that is designed to do exactly what you want it to do, it needs a lot of work uh, in a repeatable manner. And of course, people need to know that the organ on the chip is doing exactly the same thing in every environment. And that standardization uh, can help it get taken up by an industry. We love to talk about scaling up and scaling out. Um, and then, and then the repeatability. This is this is really basic scientific method kind of stuff that we're coming back to. But Christos, like you were saying about the interdisciplinary activity here, that is what Christos believes is is going to be the the kicker here. It's going to be what it's the magic sauce. Yeah, yes, you're right. This is what this is really helped by the fact that this was. Um, such an inter interdisciplinary approach. And again, we talked about the, you know, the disciplines within science, they're just artificial walls uh, in our minds, right? So the cell materials need to be standardized. The fabrication methods to make the system need to be standardized. The systems that monitor the tissue and extract data from it need to be standardized. And so this is a challenge, not necessarily for me and Alice, it's for the entire community. We need to come together and build the infrastructure so the entire field can have a stronger commercial aspect. For our system specifically, I think something that we would look into would be the fabrication scalability. So we'll be able to make many copies that are in theory identical in a fast and efficient manner. So this is really about having diversity in our researchers doing the work. Back to my, my background at, at Bell Labs, um, which was a place that actually flourished because of the diversity of backgrounds of the people coming to the institution. And in fact, I joke that no one ever asked me what my degree was in. They only wanted to know what could I do. And because of that diversity, um, I think we had very innovative solutions to very challenging problems that came up. And it was interesting coming to a university because I think of universities as being hotbeds of innovation, but there are some very institutional structures which can be barriers. And in fact, the College of Engineering here at BU has relatively low barriers between departments. So it was an opportunity for this kind of <laughs> work to flourish. In our previous episode, Connor, if, if you will, part one of talking about organs on a chip, um, we looked at these organs on a chip and this technology, and we compared it to testing drugs on an animal model. So let's do the same thing with this mini pump technology. How, how do we compare those? You would be able to have more than typical animal experiments. I think organ and chip, is somewhere between the initial 2D cell culture experiments and the animal work in the sense that it will give you more information but with fewer replications. So I would imagine someone having a 48 well or a 96 well 96 of the system. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it's up to the standardization that I was referring to, to what extent, how many of those 96 wells would one have? And so this is the challenge that the field needs to address in a way. So being able to scale up so we can test more candidates. And in an ideal world, in a very ideal world far into the future, we would say that the systems would be so accurate that we could eventually phase out perhaps animal models or part of the clinical trials, 
but that we're still not there yet. This is what we're working on as a field. And does Christo see this as a technical challenge? Well, it's partly technical, but it's also about the limitations that we place on them in this conservative uh, industry. And it's conservative so culture. for the right reason, right? Sure. Yeah, but it's, it's patient safety is at the heart of all we do, so we've got to be careful. Well, I, I think it's both. I think one of the challenges is also we don't understand the biology that we're modeling as well. So we need yeah. to have a better comparison. What is the anticipated output of the system? We know that we see it in humans, but we can't run control experiments in humans to say exactly this is the factor that's most critical for this drug. And in yeah. animals, they're not humans, right? Um, and so as we under as the science behind organ and chip, now the technology also develops, then we would be able to uh, resolve these issues. Yeah, and I see a wonderful, you know, sort of circular thing happening where this development of this little mini pump could actually impact the science in the sense that if you could change the afterload and the preload and watch the effect of that on, if, if, you, if your stem cells, for instance, came from someone that had genetic disease, you could model that um, disease in this pump. As we try to understand exactly what are the cues that impact the formation of organized uh, heart tissue and what actually causes the disruption of the heart function, we will hopefully that will feed back into the technology as well. So how does this mini pump differ in comparison to other organs on a chip? Well, this was the question I put to Alice and Christos. Why is this one going to really make a difference in a way that perhaps, you know, other flavors of organs on chips are less impressive? And, you know, there really is one important reason that Christos and Alice are focused on. So, on one hand, cardiac disease is one of the leading causes of death in the industrialized world. And so there is a lot of interest in understanding how this disease emerges or how we can develop therapeutics. And so heart on a chip, so an organ on a chip that's focused on the heart, is a research tool to allow, to enable these therapeutics, this research to happen. On the other hand, something that is also a little bit special about the heart is that if we ignore its disease and we have a healthy heart, but we have disease in some other organ, when we introduce drugs for other organs, it's possible that they will interact with the heart in a negative and harmful manner. And so we need to be able to predict what the side effects of drugs on the heart are. And that is a major concern for everyone in the biopharmaceutical industry. Okay, so this chip could apply to any newly discovered drug or, or drug that is undergoing development. This, this mini pump, this heart on a chip, is more versatile in where it would be used and in what type of research it would be used. Exactly. And this means researchers can study things such as high blood pressure and how it affects heart tissue, for example. I'm having flashbacks to our episode about the Framingham Heart Study. Exactly. But what does this mean for the future? Let's ask Alice. The main objective of CellMed, uh, our engineering research center, is to develop a patch of cardiac tissue from a patient's own stem cells that would be used to repair a heart damage by a heart attack. 
So it is, in fact, to you know implant and, and replace that. And uh, the challenges there are vasculature, also the electrophysiology, things like that. So this work is, is a step in, in that direction. And that is the main goal. It's a 10-year program, so <laughs> not to minimize the challenge of it. Sounds like there is a lot more to come from this team. And yes, I'm following this really closely. It's super exciting. And it's a great story on collaboration right there at the forefront of an emerging field. Super cool. Definitely. And you know, it's on their shoulders that the future researchers within their field will stand. It's the beginnings of something. They're laying the groundwork for amazing things. I say all the time that this opportunity for me, that's sort of the last decade in my career, has been such a gift. The, the chance to work on something with, that could be so impactful. I, I, I get excited every time I see a movie of cardiomyocyte speeding. It's just unbelievable, <laughs> you know, so. I think the, the most interesting part is that this is also an emerging field. And so there is no way to anticipate what you're gonna see next. And it's an adventure in a way. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I'm wondering is when are they going to bring machine learning into this picture? Okay, and maybe the microbiome and the mushroom or two. It would be great interdisciplinary adventure, wouldn't it? Our executive producer is Andrea Killen, and this podcast is produced with the help of Bethany Grace Armit Brewster. Editing, mixing, and music by the marvelous Tom Henley and Banda Productions. My name is Connor McKeffey. I'm Dodie Axelson. Please rate us on Spotify or wherever you're listening to us. We do have a poll on Spotify, and that would help us make every episode better. You find it under the episode description. Looking forward to hearing from you. And we'll see you next time when we come back with another episode of Discovery Matters. Bye for now.